Tonight we are going to read the whole chapter, chapter 25 of 1 Samuel. Uh, 1 Samuel 25, the entire chapter, but we're not going to analyze all of the details. Um, there could be a place for that. There's, it's a bit of, particularly, there's a lot to see here of a character study, although it's always ultimately of God's redemptive history. But what we're going to focus on tonight is Abigail. We're not going to focus on David, although we're going to look at his interaction and what he teaches us mostly about Abigail. We're going to look at Nabal. We won't really deal a lot about him. We're going to look at what we learn about Abigail in relation to him. We're going to be focusing on Abigail tonight. I want to read the whole chapter so you get the whole story. Um, I will be looking at a number of verses topically that relate to a few things we want to learn about Abigail. So 1 Samuel chapter 25, hear now the word of the Lord. And Samuel died, and all the Israelites were gathered together and lamented him, and buried him in his house at Ramah, and David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. And there was a man in Maon whose possessions were in Carmel, and the man was very great, and he had 3,000 sheep and a thousand goats, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now, the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife, Abigail. And she was a woman of good understanding and of a beautiful countenance. But the man was curlish and evil in his doings, and he was of the house of Caleb. And David heard in the wilderness that Nabal did shear his sheep, And David sent out ten young men, and David said unto the young men, Get you up to Carmel, and go to Nabal, and greet him in my name. And thus shall ye say to him that liveth in prosperity, Peace be both to thee, and peace be to thine house, and peace be unto all that thou hast. And now I have heard that thou hast shearers. Now thy shepherds which were with us, we hurt them not. Neither was there aught missing unto them. All the while they were in Carmel. Ask thy young men, and they will show thee. Wherefore, let the young men find favor in thine eyes, for we come in a good day. Give, I pray thee, whatsoever cometh to thine hand unto thy servants and to the son of David. And when David's young men came, they spake to Nabal according to all those words in the name of David, and ceased. And Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? There be many servants nowadays that break away every man from his master. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my flesh that I have killed for my shears and give it unto men whom I know not whence they be? So David's young men turned their way and went again and came and told him all those sayings. And David said unto his men, Gird ye on every man his sword. And they girded on every man his sword. And David also girded on his sword. And there went up after David about 400 men and 200 abode by the stuff. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Behold, 
David sent messengers out of the wilderness to salute our master, and he railed on them. But the men were very good unto us, and we were not hurt, neither missed we anything, as long as we were conversant with them when we were in the fields. They were a wall unto us, both by night and day, all the while we were with them keeping the sheep. Now, therefore, know and consider what thou wilt do, for evil is determined against our master and against all his household, for he is such a son of Belial that a man cannot speak to him. Then Abigail made haste and took two hundred loaves and two bottles of wine and five sheep ready dressed and five measures of parched corn and an hundred clusters of raisins, and two hundred cakes of figs, and laid them on asses. And she said unto her servants, Go on before me, behold, I come after you. But she told not her husband Nabal. And it was so, as she rode on the ass, that she came down by the covert of the hill. And behold, David and his men came down against her, and she met them. Now David had said, Surely in vain have I kept all that this fellow hath in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that pertained unto him. And he hath requited me evil for good. So, and more also, do God unto the enemies of David, if I leave of all that pertain to him by the morning light any that pisseth against the wall. And when Abigail saw David, she hasted and lighted off the ass and fell before David on her face, bowed herself to the ground, and fell at his feet and said, Upon me, my Lord, upon me, let this iniquity be. And let thine handmaid, I pray thee, speak in thine audience and hear the words of thine handmaid. Let not, my lord, I pray thee, regard this man of Belial, even Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, thine handmaid, saw not the young men of my lord, whom thou didst send. Now therefore, my lord, as the Lord liveth, and as the, thy soul liveth, seeing the Lord hath withholden thee from coming to shed blood, and from avenging thyself with thine own hand. Now let thine enemies, and they that seek evil to my Lord, be as Nabal. And now this blessing which thine handmaid hath brought unto my Lord, let it even be given unto the young men that follow my Lord. I pray thee, forgive the trespass of thine handmaid, For the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord fighteth the battles of the Lord, and evil hath not been found in thee all thy days. Yet a man is risen to pursue thee and to seek thy soul, but the soul of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of life with the Lord thy God, and the souls of thine enemies, them shall he sling out as out of the middle of a sling." And it shall come to pass, when the Lord shall have done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning thee, and shall have appointed thee ruler over Israel, that this shall be no grief unto thee, nor offense of heart unto my Lord, either that thou hast shed blood causeless, or that my Lord hath avenged himself. But when the Lord shall have dealt well with my Lord, then remember thine handmaid. And David said to Abigail, 
Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, which sent thee this day to meet me. And blessed be thy advice. And blessed be thou which hast kept me this day from coming to shed blood and from avenging myself with mine own hand. For in very deed, as the Lord God of Israel liveth, which hath kept me back from hurting thee, except thou hast hasted and come to meet me. Surely there had not been left unto Nabal by the morning light any that pisseth against the wall. So David received of her hand that which she had brought him, and said unto her, Go up in peace to thine house. See, I have hearkened to thy voice, and have accepted thy person. And Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he held a feast in his house, like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunken. Wherefore she told him nothing less or more until the morning light. But it came to pass in the morning, when the wine was gone out of Nabal, and his wife had told him these things, that his heart died within him, and he became as a stone. And it came to pass about ten days after, that the Lord smote Nabal, that he died. And when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord that hath pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal, and hath kept his servant from evil. For the Lord hath returned the wickedness of Nabal upon his own head. And David sent and communed with Abigail to take her to him to wife. And when the servants of David were come to Abigail to Carmel, they spake unto her, saying, David sent us unto thee to take thee to him, to wife. And she arose and bowed herself on her face to the earth and said, Behold, let thine handmaid be a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. And Abigail hasted and arose and rode upon an ass with five damsels of hers that went after her. And she went after the messengers of David and became his wife. David also took Ahinoam of Jezreel, and they were also both of them his wives. But Saul had given Michal, his daughter, David's wife, to Plati, the son of Laish, which was of Galim. May God bless the reading, the preaching, the hearing, the believing, and the responding in faith and love and obedience to this word. Well, this scripture tonight, the focus in this scripture tonight on Abigail is essentially a special request by Samaya Wale. Um, we were speaking together a little while ago about Abigail as a, a good example for women, and she said she wished that someone would write a book about her. Don't worry, I'm not going to be giving you a book tonight. I didn't write a book. I don't have the time at the moment to write a book, but I can give a sermon. And I did consult a number of books about the women of the Bible in our library. I think there's about five of them. And most of them had something to say about Abigail. Abigail is a remarkable woman for our women, and I, I wish someone would write a book about her. She's a remarkable woman for our women, young and old, to study and emulate, especially as it relates to working with men. I have your attention there. Abigail is especially the example 
of how to be working with men. Abigail is a notable and noble example of a godly woman's influence on a godly man. I give that to you as the main idea we're focusing on with the text as we focus on Abigail, as I think the text mostly does anyhow. Abigail is a notable example of a godly woman's influence on a godly man. We have a saying, behind every good man is a good woman or a great woman, and how often that is true. And in this case, especially so, she takes David from just about being a horrible man at the moment, gets him to remember who he is in God and Christ, and to be a good man instead. So, men, what does this have to do with you? Just for the women tonight? Well, first of all, husbands, something you can definitely take away from this, admire and abide with your Abigails like David. And hear this very clearly, let them influence you. Hear this extra clearly, listen to them. Take their advice. Don't be like Nabal who ignores Abigail and the Lord kills him. What a wife he had and he wasted it. He wouldn't listen to her. What about young men not married? Look for young Abigail's to be your wives. Learn about Abigail as an example of the kind of woman you're to wait for, worth waiting for. Herbert Lockyer uh, has something to say, actually a good amount of things to say. This book is in our library, and uh, I'll share a lot of it with you tonight. You might remember that name, Herbert Lockyer. I was like, boy, that name sounds familiar. Like, oh, yeah. That's the book, that's the guy that we went through all the names of God with. He's got a lot of books like this. And this book is about the women of the Bible. It's very thorough. I encourage you to take a look at it. It's back in the library now. Uh, He says this in his book about the women of the Bible. Abigail won David by wise, kind words. Possessing heavenly intelligence, self-control, common sense and vision, She exercised boundless influence over a great man and marked herself out as a truly great woman. Lockyer suggests a sermon for Mother's Day on Abigail. He says, if you do it, you could name it this title for the sermon. Abigail, the noble-hearted in queenly robes. And that's the way we want to be thinking and recognizing her, thinking about and recognizing her as we study her example tonight. Now, don't make a mistake and think that Abigail's perfect and doesn't have her moments and problems. We all do. But the scripture is focusing on things for a reason here tonight as an example for us. Godly women, as we study, godly women will admire and abide by Abigail's example. That's the message for you this evening, ladies, for you to be thinking about yourselves, men to be thinking about what kind of women to be looking for as wives or to be supporting and encouraged by as wives you have. Godly women will admire and abide by Abigail's example. First, 
look to Abigail's example as a model to follow working with men. Look to Abigail's example, ladies, as a model to follow working with men. She could be a model, verse 3. text actually notes a bit parenthetically, because it's not what it focuses on, but they say she's, she's really pretty. She's quite beautiful. But she's not all beauty and no brains. And in fact, her wisdom is what is focused on in this example for other women to follow and how to work with men, especially husbands. So if anyone has concern about you know, feminism concerns of, you know, oh, this is going to be all about a woman just has to be pretty and dumb and do whatever the man. No, she is being highlighted here as a model of intelligence, wisdom, discernment, influence of God's anointed king through whom the son of David, Jesus Christ, will come and sit on his throne. She has enormous influence on him. Because of her wisdom. Lockyer labels her as, quote, the woman with beauty and brains. The woman with beauty and brains. And frankly, a beautiful woman who does not have the brains or the discernment, I mean, even intelligence without wisdom, uh, really isn't the same effect. But a woman who is beautiful outwardly, but carries herself outwardly in the way that because she's got the wisdom and discernment inwardly, we have a word for that usually, regal, stately, noble. And it turns heads, but not for cat calls and whistling, but just usually silent admiration. She is one woman in the scriptures for women to model. Abigail is noted as a noteworthy woman to model. Look at verse 3 with me. 1 Samuel 25, verse 3. Now, the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife, Abigail, and she was a woman of good understanding and of a beautiful countenance. Notice what comes first. This should always come first. Good understanding. That's what you want to be known for, women. Wise, discerning, capable. If you happen to take care of yourself with beauty products and things, that's fine, too. Think of Esther, right? But Esther is before the king similarly because of her wisdom. She is a woman of good understanding. But it's not just intelligence we're talking about. As I've said in other sermons and other occasions, there's a whole lot of brilliant, really intelligent idiots out there. Just really stupid people as it comes to wisdom and how to live life. That doesn't mean they all are. (laughs) I don't mean to say that. But it's not just about being smart. That's not what's being highlighted about Abigail. It's about she's wise. She knows what to do with the information. She has the ability to read the room. She has an ability to get a sense of the moment. And she knows what to do and what not to do and how to go about it. She knows what to say. She knows how to say it. Certainly would be likely to be related to her upbringing. As she has so much to say to the Lord about who he is. uh, To David about who he is. Anointed of the Lord and his kingdom. David Howard 
says uh, of Abigail, in the story of Abigail, we only see her positive qualities, qualities as a model of a godly woman and wife. First, I want you to see this. Don't miss how she models something for some women who may be in this experience. She's faithful to her wicked husband. And she tries to save his life and that of their family. She's not trying to get out of this. She's not trying to get him killed. You might think she would say, perfect. You know, some of the commentators say she would have been killed too, but I don't think so. You see that line twice? We've discussed this line in our study of the King James because it reflects the literal Hebrew better. David says quite twice, I'm going to kill everyone that pisseth against the wall by morning. Well, what is he referring to? Men, probably boys. It doesn't seem to me that she and the ladies are going to be killed. It doesn't seem to me. But he's going to do that to everybody that pisseth against the wall. Still, even in our day, most men stand while urinating. And the scriptures speak of that as something. It's a way of referring to a man. I highlight that a little bit in our culture at the moment. But the point is, I don't think that she is needing to be spared or the ladies, but her husband, surely going to be dead. She's concerned for her husband. She knows her wifely duty. She's supposed to try to protect his life, even though he's a jerk and probably has been a real jerk to her. Sure seems like it by what we see. She's also concerned about the servants, the men. One of them comes and even gives her warning. She's concerned. She's a faithful wife. She understands she has a responsibility to try to save her husband. She doesn't use it as an opportunity. Oh, praise the Lord. David's going to kill Nabal and I can get out of here. This is a tremendous model for us of women being faithful to a marriage. It's certainly a model for men in a similar situation with women, but... We're looking at Abigail tonight. Look at verse 3 again. Now the name of the man was Nabal, the name of his wife Abigail, and she was a woman of good understanding, of a beautiful countenance, but the man was curlish and evil in his doings, and he was of the house of Caleb. He's not good looking. And he's not pleasant to be around. In fact, he's quite difficult. It's an unhappy life. But she's faithful to it. Look at verse 36. And Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he had a, held a feast in his house, like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunken. Wherefore, she told him nothing, less or more, until the morning light. And then verse 37. But it came to pass in the morning, when the wine was gone out of Nabal, and his wife had told him these things, that his heart died within him, and he became as a stone. But that wasn't her intention. Why did she wait till the morning? Why did she wait until he was no longer drunk? So he could hear her and understand She didn't tell him until she already did it because she knew he'd get himself killed. He'd stop her. He'd stop her from doing what was going to save his life. But she knows she needs to inform her husband. She doesn't keep this from him. She honors him as her husband and informs him of what has happened. And she waits until she knows that she'll be able to hear it. Let me point that out to you, ladies. It's just as much true for men with wives. But coming to your husband late at night, with a problem, when they may not, I'm not saying we should be drunk, but there may be plenty of reasons coming to your husband at the worst time to try to communicate is something to pay attention to here. 
The fact that he is a goofball and dies is another issue, but she's wise. We see her model example again. And we see that she's a model wife by enduring because of her vows. You might ask this question, well, why did she marry him? She unequally yoked, maybe she's paying for it, huh? I think Locke here explains this. Likely the situation is this. He says, according to the custom of those times, marriage was largely a matter of family arrangement. Most likely, hey, this guy's rich. This is probably going to, you know, you you see this a lot in movies and documentaries about certain periods of aristocracy and stuff. You know, you have an opportunity to marry into a certain family that brings all kinds of money into the other family. And, you know, it's, it's, it's business. And a lot of times children were forced in, even in royalty in high places, they were forced into these marriages for sake of the business, blessing the family. And uh, it could be that she was, it was an arranged marriage, and she was probably pretty young, and he's got a lot, and he's older, and uh, she honored her parents. Now she honors her husband and her vows to him, even though it's difficult, and she likely didn't want it. I'm not suggesting that's the proper way to bring a woman into marriage, but we do see the example with Abraham sending his servant to find Rebekah for Isaac. It's an arranged marriage. They never meet until they go into the tent. However, Isaac accepted his father's uh, finding her, and they asked Rebekah, will you go? They waited for her consent. They didn't just force her into it. So I don't, I don't think that's something we can say as an example. And of course, the scripture doesn't explicitly say this. But I think as we would wonder, why is she in this situation? It was probably something she was put into. But keep that in mind. She's working within it. You might think of Joseph as an example for us, for the men. And as with Joseph... She's, a, she's very productive. She's very responsible. She's very godly. Blesses the household. Also, she has the confidence of her servants. Look at verse 14. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to salute our master. And he railed on them. And then he goes on to explain, Danger is coming. I'm as good as dead. My brother, my father, you know, whoever my... The men are as good as dead. Your husband's as good as dead soon. But notice, he comes to her. She has his confidence. She has his trust. She has a working relationship with her servants where they respect her. And they know if anyone's going to get them out of it, it's going to be her. It's not going to be Nabal. Now... Notice she's also not above taking counsel from her servants. She's not dismissive. She listens. Look at verse 18. Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves and two bottles of wine and five sheep ready dressed, five measures of parched corn and a hundred clusters of raisins, 200 cakes of figs and laid them on asses. All right, get everything together quickly. Let's go out bring gifts to him. Let's see if we can settle him down. You know, does it, it might make you recall when Jacob's coming back after being away for so many years and he's afraid to meet Esau. And uh, it turns out Esau isn't wanting to kill him, but he doesn't know that. And earlier he did, <laughs> you know. But he, So what does Esau do? Or what does Jacob do? Kind of similar. He sends servants ahead of him, a little bit more involved. He sends gifts. 
as a way of showing honor and respect the way you'd approach someone of significance and power and authority. And so she's doing that quickly. But notice that also. She, she acts quickly while the situation is urgent, doing what her husband should have done. Uh, I, I want to highlight that again. She acts quickly. Abigail, verse 18, made haste. We're going to come back to that. But notice she doesn't make the man wait on her. Verse 20. And it was so, as she rode on the ass, that she came down by the covert of the hill. And behold, David and his men came down against her, and she met them. Do you see the courage here? She's approaching David, not knowing if she will succeed or if she will survive. Very similar to Esther when she approaches the king. She's like, you know what? Fast, pray. If I die, I die. Because you are not supposed to approach the king in that culture of the Medes and Persians without having been summoned by the king. And if you haven't been, it's likely he'll have you killed for it. Unless he holds out the scepter of golden mercy, which did happen for Esther. But she risks her life, courage, self-sacrifice for the sake of saving her people. And you see this example too. Self-sacrifice and courage, willing to approach David. And we see David praises her as a wonderful woman worthy of praise. Verses 32 to 33, look with me there. And David said unto Abigail, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, which sent thee this day to meet me. And blessed be thy advice. And blessed be thou which has kept me this day from coming to shed blood. He goes on to say what I was about to do, and thank you that you kept me from doing it. But he blesses her. He praises her, which is what we see in the Proverbs, Proverbs 31 of the Proverbs 31 woman. Because of who she is, you might say you could put the picture of Abigail, as it were, from this text, superimposed with Proverbs 31, and there you have her. And he praises her, just like in Proverbs 31, the husband and the children rise to praise her. Lockyer says that her name means this. Abigail means something like father of joy or cause of joy. He calls her, Lockyer calls her, one of the loveliest females in the Bible. Julie Allison Yeron, Another book from our library. Her, she says that Abigail's name means something like, my father is joy, or the father's joy. She kind of picks up, maybe as a woman and a daughter, that sense of how it seems to connote an idea of pleasing my father. You know, as, and she mentions that some, or one of the books mentioned how fathers are afraid to have daughters for the first time, but eventually they get him wrapped around his, her finger. You know, they just have a special place in the daddy's heart. And she, she says this, Abigail, whose name means something like my father is joy or the father's joy. Euron says, certainly just being a loving daughter brings joy to her parents' lives. But a daughter can enhance that joy by living a life of obedience to her heavenly father, of fearing him, of making consistently wise choices even against difficult odds. 
The Bible shows Abigail as a woman of calm judgment in the face of impending doom. A daughter any father would be joyful to have raised in Bible times or modern days. End quote. The goal is to follow those in Scripture with good examples of pleasing your heavenly Father, ladies. And that is to follow Jesus and be like him who said, I have come to do my Father's will. And he said that even as he faced the cross. Abigail is a model daughter and wife. And she models a godly message and method. Look to Abigail's example as a model to follow working with men. And model Abigail's godly message appealing to men. Model Abigail's godly message appealing to men. We're going to see how she communicates in terms of what she says. You know, when we want to persuade people, we're hoping to make the right kind of arguments that you find them kind of maybe putting their hand on their chin, crossing their arms, saying, hmm, you know, you make some good points. Make some good points. Abigail makes good arguments here, a number of very good logical arguments to appeal to David's reason that he would become reasonable, logical, because he's acting in anger and ungodly wrath, which is never logical. Verse 25 Let not, my Lord, I pray thee, regard this man of Belial, even Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, thine handmaid, saw not the young men of my Lord, whom thou didst send. She says, Nabal is a fool. It's what his name means, and he lives out his name. He is not worth such attention, and he is not worth you losing everything. It's just not worth it. Isn't that something we say to people sometimes? Just let it go, let them go. Yeah, they're wrong, they're being nincompoops, but they're just not worth it. They're not worth you risking your reputation. They're not worth you risking whatever it might be as you get caught up in wanting vengeance. Look at verse 26, another logical argument uh, that she gives uh, to David to persuade him not to do this. Now therefore, verse 26, Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord liveth, And as thy soul liveth, seeing the Lord hath withholden thee from coming to shed blood and from avenging thyself with thine own hand, now let thine enemies and they that seek evil to my Lord be as Nabal. She credits God for keeping him from doing evil and encourages him not to do so now. Notice she's giving credit and glory to God. She's very focused on God. Her arguments are are based on God and who God is and what God does and what he has promised, the way he works. He's drawing David's attention off of Nabal and onto God. Very godly influence. Verse 27. And now, this blessing which thine handmaid hath brought unto my Lord, let it even be given unto the young men that follow my Lord. So then she says, look, I've brought you gifts. I've brought you what you wanted that you were mad, going to kill everybody over, but now you have it. 
You know, sometimes we can be stupid like that, especially younger children. You know, I'm mad. I don't want it anymore. Like, I know you want it. No, I don't. You know, <laughs> and she said, you know, come on. This is what you're all upset about. It's here now. You got what you want. I've brought you these gifts. Please take them and please be satisfied. No reason to be mad anymore. Ultimately, you're hoping to take care of your people, your, your servants, your warriors, and, and here we go. Look at verses 28 to 30. I pray thee, forgive the trespass of thine handmaid, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord fighteth the battles of the Lord, and evil hath not been found in thee all thy days. Yet a man is risen to pursue thee and to seek thy soul, but the soul of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of life with the Lord thy God, and the souls of thine enemies, them shall he sling out, as out of the middle of a sling. And it shall come to pass when the Lord shall have done to my Lord according to all the good that he hath spoken concerning thee and shall have appointed thee ruler over Israel. She appeals to David's forgiveness, which he's going to need himself. He has a heart after God. God has a heart to forgive. She appeals to his heart She speaks to his conscience, and she speaks to the call for grace. She also speaks to God's covenant with him that is surely going to happen, who he is in God as the anointed king and the man of God who is doing God's work. So he doesn't need to worry about being provided for. Keep the big picture of the blessing from God to trust so he doesn't risk it for his own benefit. She's saying, look, Remember the Davidic covenant. Remember all that God has said. He has already worked with Samuel, who at the beginning of the chapter has just died. But Samuel has already anointed you to be king. It's a matter of time. Many times you could have tried to kill Saul when others wanted to encourage you to. But you didn't. You had self-restraint. You had focus then. You need that same focus now. Remember who you are. You know, essentially, here's something I think very helpful. She doesn't say, I thought you're supposed to be a man of God. You know, none of us are going to live perfect lives serving the Lord. Instead, she says, you are a man of God. You are a minister of the Lord. I believe in you, and I know you're better than this. You're forgetting yourself. She's not challenging, maybe he isn't a man of God. How could you? I mean, come on, this is pretty serious, right? She doesn't use it on him and bring him down. She brings him up and reminds him to be who he is, lift him up to be who he should be. I think that's a pretty significant lesson there, but we need to say the same thing to our wives, of course, men. It's for his own benefit to hear her arguments. Verse 31. That this shall be no grief unto thee, nor offense of heart unto my Lord, either that thou hast shed blood causeless, or that my Lord hath avenged himself. But when the Lord shall have dealt well with my Lord, then remember thine handmaid. She's she's saying this is in your best interest. It's in your best interest. Just as Paul tells us in Ephesians, take care of your wives because it's in your best interest. They're your own body. You don't take care of your wife, you're hurting yourself. It's just a logical argument. She's saying, look, it's in your best interest. Don't do this 
to yourself, wait on the Lord. She helps him realize, later, this will be nothing. So don't bother with it. And again, don't sin against God. Get perspective. It isn't as bad as it seems. It is going to be something that you don't think about later on. So just don't think about it now. If you do, then you're going to be thinking about how you did it wrong all the time later. Verses 33 to 35. And blessed be thy advice. David blesses her. Blessed be thy advice. And blessed be thou which hast kept me this day from coming to shed blood and from avenging myself with mine own hand. For in very deed, as the Lord God of Israel liveth, which hath kept me back from hurting thee, except thou hadst hasted and come to meet me, surely there had not been left unto Nabal by the morning light any that pisseth against the wall. So David received of her hand that which she had brought him, and said unto her, Go up in peace to thine house. See, I have hearkened to thy voice, and have accepted thy person. So David recognizes to her, he affirms her, and he says, you've given me good advice, and you've saved your family. You've saved all that you have, because I was going to sinfully destroy. Notice, though, good advice. See that again, men? Good advice. Listen to your Abigails. They often do have really good advice. Often they have certain experiences or expertise that we don't. We're going to get to how they can communicate in a way to make it easy for you to hear their advice. But make an effort to listen to their advice. He says, you've given me good advice. She's given him a long string of arguments about why he shouldn't do this. And he says, you know what? That is really reasonable and logical. I was about to be stupid and illogical. I accept your gift. Go in peace. I'll spare you. It's not all of the story, but don't miss that. Lockyer says this, she had piety. She had religious principles. Edith Dean, another book in our library, she says, certainly of all the famous women in the Old Testament, Abigail was the wisest. Abigail was one of David's eight wives. But Abigail was the greatest influence for good and helped David to remember that he was God's anointed into whose keeping the kingdom of Israel had been entrusted. She goes on to say, Abigail typifies woman in her noblest, purest character. Her actions reveal that she was a diplomat of the highest order and that she understood men and had tolerance for their bad behavior. This isn't saying she was making excuses. She was calling them out. But she was calling them out reasonably, appealing to his reason, to his own self-benefit. Christian women, help your men see ahead when they are weighed down with troubles. Lift them up with who they are in God and remind them of God's calling on their lives and his promises to them. 
They need to be lifted up and reminded who they are, not dragged down further, which will only make them more likely to make the wrong choices and do the wrong things. Remind them not to overreact, but keep obeying Jesus and being more like him. Proverbs 31 verse 26 could be said of Abigail. Let it be said of the church's ladies. She openeth her mouth with wisdom. And her tongue is the law of kindness. You see, Abigail not only gives good arguments, but also she gives them in a good way. So model Abigail's godly method approaching men. Look to Abigail's example as a model to follow working with men. Model Abigail's godly message appealing to men. And model Abigail's godly method approaching men. It could be we're saying the right things, but we're not saying it the right way. A lot of times it's both. We usually just, we all just mess it all up, right? But sometimes we may be speaking the truth, but not in love and not with respect. And we wonder why it doesn't get anywhere. Because I'll remind you, ladies, what a man needs more than anything else, Ephesians 5, regardless of if they have earned or deserved it, what they need, the way they are wired, is they need respect. They need to feel respected. Let's consider a contrast in the book of Esther. Queen Vashti, at the beginning of Esther, the book of Esther, she treats her husband with disrespect, while Esther later treats him with respect. And so there are different outcomes, right? Vashti's like, I'm having my own party while you guys party up with the boys. Woohoo! It doesn't invite her husband, right? Doesn't have any interest in her, and him, excuse me. But then the king says, I am summoning you, Vashti. I want you to come into my court and be with me and my men as I'm having this party. I want you to come and be with me. That's not an unreasonable expectation of a man for his wife. I expect you to be there to support me with my job, support me with my public responsibilities, with my job. And I expect you to be by my side And make it look like you're thankful for my work. Because let me tell you another thing. You can't do better for a man than to respect his work. I'm throwing a lot of stuff at you from books. But I can guarantee it's true. Because when I say it to men when I've done marriage counseling, it's like I touch a button. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. This is not excusing men of their responsibility to love unconditionally. But we're focusing on Abigail and her success working with a man who is about to kill people because he's out of control in anger. Like literally going to kill a lot of people because he's out of control in anger. And we see she turns the whole thing around by her wise words, but also her winsomeness. Now let's go back to the example with Vashti. Because she can't be bothered to respond to her husband's request to come and be with them. Now this is the king of like, the world empire. I mean, it's a big deal, right? You know, imagine, you know, the inauguration of our next president and the wife is not interested to dance with him at the first dance of the president and wife. Do you know what everyone would be saying? 
Are you kidding me? Who does she think she is? And it's an insult to the whole nation, but especially to her husband, our president. Vashti's like, I'm not coming. Can you imagine? Well, therefore she is ousted as queen. She is vanquished with no attention except to be made an example of. And by the way, who influenced that? All the men of the court said, she can't disrespect you like that. You're the king. If she's allowed to do this, that's going to influence all the other wives and women. And they're all going to start disrespecting their husbands and authority. And, and again, by the way, we're officers in the kingdom. You have to expect respect from her. So she's told to leave the kingdom. She is vanquished and she's dethroned, as it were, as queen to be made an example of. Whereas Esther, she's to- chosen to be queen. She's a humble, she's beautiful also, but she's humble. She's a godly woman of the Lord. God has a plan for her and similarly uses all of these difficulties and challenges like Abigail. First of all, I think like Joseph, to train her to be ready for the moment, to recognize the moment and what to do with it. Similarly, Esther's ready. It's a heartbreaking situation, but she trusts God's providence and she's chosen by the king. And she, because of the way she approaches him, she doesn't presume upon him. When she comes unannounced, she knows she could die. She does it to save others, but she comes bowing, waiting to be spoken to. And therefore, she wins her husband's love and interest in, come speak to me, extends the scepter of mercy. She's chosen to be queen, and she's given great influence And she's the example to emulate, and she saves God's people. So we see here, Abigail is not argumentative. Note the difference. Note the difference. She presents logical arguments, but she's not argumentative about the way she presents the arguments. She makes it easy for him to give him his, her his ear and listen. She disarms him with her delicacy. I should say delicateness, I believe, excuse me. She's humble. She's deferential. She's respectful to a man and his office as a king, God's king. Verses 23 and 24. And when Abigail saw David, she hasted and lighted off the ass and fell before David on her face and bowed herself to the ground. And fell at his feet and said, Upon me, my Lord, upon me, let this iniquity be. And let thy handmaid, I pray thee, speak in thine audience and hear the words, excuse me, of thine handmaid. Notice he call, she calls him Lord. And as we read the text together, it's actually like, I don't know how many times, it's a lot of times she's calling him Lord. But do you notice a lot of times I lost track of it? In these verses, it's there, but it actually keeps going on and on. She constantly refers to her as your handmaid. I'm your servant. I'm your maidservant. Wow. Notice, she doesn't demand to be heard. She requests 
to be heard. Big difference. It isn't that our wives, although she's not his wife yet, it's not that our wife or any person doesn't uh, warrant trying to have an audience, but she's not presuming upon him. She's coming before him requesting an audience. Again, verses 27 and 31, she calls him Lord and herself handmaid and continues to say that, and she asks to be remembered. This is interesting. It's almost like she almost knows where this is going to go. Nabal's still going to get himself killed by the Lord somehow. It's almost like she's saying, remember me. Or maybe she's just saying, remember me and have favor on me and my family, as Rahab does to Joshua when they're going to take down Jericho. But for now, see how she approaches him when she does approach him later to be his wife. We'll look at this more in a moment. But look at verse 41. When it's time to be engaged, to come and be his wife. She arose and bowed herself on her face to the earth and said, Behold, let thine handmaid be a servant to wash the feet of thy servants of my Lord. She doesn't say, well, it's about time. You know. She just keeps approaching him as a servant, and he is her Lord. Naturally, he's also the king. I mean, that's definitely involved here, but it's nothing like Vashti. Further, look at verse 42. And Abigail hasted and arose and rode upon an ass. Now, look with me back at verse 36 as well. I I touched on this briefly. I was thinking ahead to this verse. But verse 36, And Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he in a feast. Uh, Excuse me, let me see here. I think it's actually... No, it's verse 18. Excuse me, I have the wrong verse. Verse 18, Abigail made haste. She's quick about going to try to honor David and get him to do the right thing. And then again here, uh, when it's time to come and be married to him, verse 41, she rose, bowed herself, brought herself to him. Verse 42, she hasted. What's that word mean, children? It means she was quick about it. She took it serious. She doesn't make him wait like Vashti her king. I think that's important to pay attention to. She does not make her husband wait. She's quick to wait upon him. This does not remove the husband's responsibility to wait upon his wife and be quick and good about it. But notice, she takes him seriously. She takes his time seriously. And even though he wants her to be wife now, and it's essentially a done deal and she's secured, she doesn't start to get arrogant about it, and she's quick about it. But she is successful. That's the other thing to recognize. She is successful. David repents and receives her gifts and recognizes she protected him from sinning. Verses 32 to 33. And we've already read that, so we won't read it again. But she, he says, you, I praise you. You are, what, what a woman. What a woman. You know, women, you want a godly man to say that to you with this kind of a reason. What a woman. Men, you want to hear women say the same, the same thing. Because they're saying, in the context of Christianity and uh, in contrast to the world, what a man. You can think back to what we 
thought about with the video on Show Me the Father Friday night for that, but we're focusing on Abigail tonight as an example for our women. Uh, Lockyer says this about her manner. She's got a message, but also a method. And that method is the manner of poise or tact. You want to be women who it is said of you, you have poise and you have tact. You know how to carefully communicate so as not to offend men unnecessarily, and especially your husband. I have certain thoughts in my mind coming through that are not anything recent, so don't start to try to fish through the Rolodex and think about it and figure it out. But I do recall uh, a number of men complaining, saying many other men have been so frustrated by this woman because she's so disrespectful to men. You don't want that said of you in the church by your brethren. And you don't want it said of your husband by your husband of you. There's another example I'd like to go to for a moment. I will come back to our text. Please keep it marked. And I, I intended to let you know about this in advance, and I, I've neglected to. I'm sorry. But keep it marked. But would you turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3? 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to look at some verses here, and I'm, I'm largely going to just let the word speak for itself. I don't want to go too long with this, but I think this is a good application of what we're talking about here. And another example is given to us with a lot of similarities. 1 Peter chapter 3, 1-6. to Before I read it, let me go ahead and read verse 7. I do want to recognize, Likewise, ye husbands... Dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. And there's a lot of scriptures that speak to the husband's role and what he should be like to the wife. But I do want to point that out so we don't get the wrong idea. We're just focusing on women. Most of the time we're talking about men, frankly, often in this church, because that's the most of the main characters in scriptures. We look at the good and bad examples, but we're focusing on this tonight. But I want to read 1 Peter 3, 1 to 6. I think this is a very important scripture to keep marked as you try to live out and apply what we're learning about Abigail as your example. Proverbs 31, wife, woman, should be a good one too, but I want you to see some connections here as well. 1 Peter 3, verses 1 to 6. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may, without the word, be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair and of wearing of gold or putting on of apparel, But let it be the hidden man of the heart, and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. Before I continue, you might recall uh, Miss Cervantes encouraged us to get that book, and we studied that Wednesday nights a while back 
uh, verse 4. It's to be for both of us, of course. But the section's largely addressed to the women right now. Verse 5. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Talking with a local pastor who was preaching on this text, it's interesting, he said to his congregation as he was going through First Peter, you know, Sarah's given to us as in a positive example here, but it's probably almost the only thing that could be said as a positive example with Sarah. She had a lot of doubts, right? She had a lot of challenges, didn't always work well with Abraham, led him into some, some dumb things as well, not trusting God's providence. So he, you know, he pointed out something, I thought, well, that's interesting to think about. There's not much that could be said about Sarah to be a good example for our wives, to our Christian husbands or non-Christians, but as Christian wives. But what can be focused on and highlighted about Sarah is that she obeyed him and called him Lord. What did Abigail say so many times? Lord, Lord, Lord. Am I telling you to go home and call your, wife, your husband's Lord? <laughs> Not necessarily, but don't miss this. And this is New Testament. Whether you say that word, it needs to be how you say it. And Abigail and Sarah do use that word in some way. There are a lot of different ways to speak with titles and names to your husband, I think that you would be comfortable with and can communicate that same sense of, you're my husband. I appreciate what Fernanda does often. It's usually a little bit as we're joking with one another, but as I'm saying, hey, hey, we got to do this, we got to do that. She says, si, senor. You know, and she's not really being sarcastic, but she's just having fun with me. But yeah, what does senor mean? I mean, it means sir or lord, right? A mister, you know? And I, I can't deny, I kind of appreciate that, you know? I try to remember to call her senora sometimes, you know, or actually, I don't think that's the right word, is it? Uh, oh, it is. Okay, good. Phew. <laughs> I'm still learning a lot with Portuguese, and I, I default to Spanish a lot and get in trouble. <laughs> but notice that verse 1 also could speak as an example or an application of Abigail while she was married to Nabal. Verse 1 says, if you have a husband who's not obedient to the word of God, who isn't treating you well because they're not acting as a Christian should, let alone if you have a Christian like David who's just having a moment, a big moment, but is at least a Christian. If you have a non-Christian husband who's more likely to be harsh with you and unsupportive, how can you win him over to Christianity? Your submission to him. The way you behave yourselves. And he goes on to say, your chaste conversation with fear. Respect verse 2. Adorn yourself not with the outward things that might attract his attention to you physically. Attract him with what's going to last. Your heart, your inside, the hidden man, verse 4. Because that's precious in God's sight. So pray that he makes it precious in your husband's sight. That he'd be converted By simply living like Abigail. Again, dealing with a man in great anger about to do horrible things because of it. Win them over. Notice what's being emphasized here. Not so much the words, but the manner of communicating. 
Verse 6 could almost be applying to Abigail's example now married to David. Verse 6, even as Sarah opened, uh, excuse me, obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well and are not afraid with any amazement. If you're not afraid to go against the flow of this world, to go against the flow of feminists, beating down your neck, beating you down to the ground, telling you to obey them as your master and disobey God in the word to make you reject all of this and cringe. By the way, let me say one other thing, ladies. Part of the curse in Genesis 3 is this is going to be hard for you to do. You're always going to struggle not to want to take the authority of your husband. It's part of the curse of the fall. Just like anything we're hearing, like we did this morning about speaking kindly all the time. It takes self-control. It takes growing in ourselves. It's a lot of hard work. Just as it's hard for husbands to love, it's not easy. It's sacrificial. We've got to keep controlling ourselves, working on it. Nobody says this is going to be easy, but it is holy, and it can change lives, frankly, for so many people. Again, we see her reference Sarah as calling Abraham another patriarch with a covenant promise and blessing from God, Lord. Hey, Abraham, did he always deserve that? No. (laughs) But in both cases, respecting his authority and the office of husband, father, and the call to help him. And a lot of helping the man is to help him be who he's supposed to be. Help him be better than he is. Again, not saying, you're supposed to be a man of God, but instead saying, you're a man of God. Remember who you are. Remember your high and holy calling. You're a Christian. You're a husband and father for Christ. I want to help you get back to who you know you are. Remember who you are. Remember the promises of God to you. Verse 1, again, it could have been what might have saved Nabal, but a warning to men, Nabal was too stupid to be saved. He sure had his opportunity with Abigail. You could argue if he doesn't get saved by Abigail's behavior, mindful of verse 1 of 1 Peter 3, I'm not sure anything would have saved him. Again, here's the benefit, ladies. Now, a lot of the world is going to say, this is not what you should care about. This is not what you should be concerned about. And so a lot of women miss out on this until it's too late in life. And it's way harder to try to get it, and it's way harder to get what should come of it. But here's the benefit to you ladies to learn from and follow the example modeled to you by Abigail. David the king seeks Abigail to be his wife. Nabal is taken care of by God, so she's lawfully allowed to marry again, and he seeks her to be his wife. Why? He is so impressed with her and how she influenced him to be a better man serving God. And so he's like, I need, to be, I need her to be my wife. I need her influence. I need her to help me. I need her. She's going to make me better than I am. And he says, I'm gonna, I want to marry you. And she responds. Look at verses 39 to 42. Back in our text this evening, 1 Samuel chapter 25. A few other things to make note of before we close. Verses 39 to 42, 1 Samuel 25. Look at the benefit she gets of this in the end. And when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord that hath pleased the cause of my reproach, 
pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal and hath kept his servant from evil. For the Lord hath returned the wickedness of Nabal upon his own head. And David sent and communed with Abigail to take her to him to wife. And when the servants of David were come to Abigail to Carmel, they spake unto her, saying, David sent us unto thee to take thee to him to wife. And she arose and bowed herself on her face to the earth and said, Behold, let thine handmaid be a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. And Abigail hasted and arose and rode upon an ass with five damsels of hers that went after her. And she went after the messengers of David and became his wife. She becomes his wife. And they have a son. Second Samuel 3, verse 3. Now this is unlike David's first wife mentioned in passing in verse 44. There's a lot of things that went into this. But Michal is now an afterthought. And Michal dies childless. Why? Because McCall had publicly disrespected David and privately argued with him in contempt of him, she never had children because he never wanted to be with her anymore. Instead, he wanted Abigail and had a child with her. It's just reality. It's often how certain women know how to steal men from others, not to justify it, but it's how they do it in context where the wife needs to know how to better take care of her husband. (laughs) It's a book by Dr. Laura on that, if you want to look it up. Uh, You know, I recall there's a lot of Proverbs. They kind of go close to each other, and they say, a woman who just won't stop arguing, the husband just wants to get up to the roof, and he wants to get out of the house, and then he wants to get in the forest, he just, want to get, he just wants to get away from her. And so McCall has no children. Because she's not a model like Abigail. She's not wise and she's not winsome. So she loses the interest of her husband to the point he doesn't want to be with her. And thus he's not with her in the way that she would have children. But Abigail, whole different story. So, the godly girl gets the godly guy and godly children in the end. Wait for it. And the godly guy gets more godly because of his godly wife. Wait for it. Men, seek and support Abigail's. Women, seek to be such supportive Abigail's. Here's the summary of her example. Herbert Lockyer writes, in her, Abigail, in her winsomeness and wisdom were wed. 
he kind of has the orders reversed, but he says, in her, winsomeness and wisdom were wed. A good way of bringing, approaching these things to her husband and good at giving logical, reasonable explanations together in one. In her, winsomeness and wisdom were wed. And beloved, that's why David wed her. As we seek to find and raise up godly women, let us look to Abigail for a role model to point them to. For godly women will admire and abide by Abigail's example. Again, that's the message for you this evening. Pray for that. Support it. Seek to be it as ladies. Seek to support it as men in every way. For women, young and old, even Juliana in her mommy's womb. Imagine how the church will be with a bunch of Abigails. The future church with a bunch of Abigails in a world filled with McCall's. Imagine the kinds of men they will raise up to lead the church and the nation. I'm getting goosebumps. Godly women will admire and abide by Abigail's example. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we do thank you for giving us this example as a model to follow. We know that Abigail was a sinner and needed to be saved by Jesus Christ, but you give her in this uh, true story as an example to us, a number of examples of the different characters, but as we focus on Abigail, you give the example and the testimony of a Proverbs 31 woman who can have the kind of effect even in unbelieving husband's if they would apply 1 Peter 3 with her as the example. We pray your blessing upon our women, young and old, even our little girls and little girls to come. We pray you help our wives to fight against and dismiss worldly influences, including too often from women within the church. I speak broadly of churches. Lord, help them to hear Satan's tongue in a call to be something other than Abigail. And help them to hear your call by the voice of the Holy Spirit to be like Abigail, to be like Sarah. Bless our ladies and those you would bring here to admire Abigail and to seek to abide by her example for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ to be a joy to our Father in heaven, and to help us all, we men, young and old, husbands, fathers, officers, to help us be better and to do better. We pray all for the glory of God and the advancement of the kingdom of Christ, and we do pray, come Lord Jesus, the Spirit and the bride say, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. And all your people said, Amen.